Hello everyone, this is Bernie Ree with another episode of Intro to Zen Online. And this episode will be a reading of Chapter 4 of Ezra Beta's book, Being Zen. The title of this chapter is Experiencing and the Witness. As we examine the practice life, a word that will keep coming up is experiencing. What exactly does it mean to experience? Can we define it? Can we describe it? Unfortunately, experiencing can't be adequately described, and it certainly can't be defined. We have to learn what it means from the inside as a living reality. At first, we might equate it with bringing awareness to particular sensations, such as those of the breath. We focus on the coolness as the breath enters the nostrils, or the feeling of the upper body as it rises and falls with our inhalations and exhalations. And bringing awareness to the breath in this focused way grounds us in physical reality. Entering the world of physical reality takes us out of our spinning mental world, provides a taste of experiencing. But experiencing cannot be reduced to just single sensations, although it is only by starting at this end of the awareness continuum that we can begin to approach the depth and breadth that the process of experiencing can be. Often, on this end of the continuum, we experience the concentrated states called samadhi, in which we become fully absorbed in the object of concentration. By fully focusing on the breath, or the light of a candle, or sounds such as chanting or music, we can sometimes even lose our sense of self. But again, these focused states are only preliminary ones. What is important about them is that they ground us in the physical reality of the moment rather than in our thoughts. However, in terms of experiencing, they are still very limited in that they are mainly shutting life out. Experiencing always entails being awake and aware, and we can't be awake and aware when we are absorbed in a narrow band of sensory input. <clears throat> in approaching the gestalt awareness that we call experiencing, many have found helpful the meditation exercise called the three by three. In this practice, you bring three different aspects of sensory input into awareness simultaneously and hold them for three complete breaths. For example, you could first bring awareness to the sensations of the breath, and then, while staying with that, begin to include the sense of touch in your hands as they rest in your lap. And then, while staying with awareness of breath and touch, expand your awareness to include the perception of sound, and then hold all three together for three complete breaths. To get a taste of the 3x3, three three, try the following. First, bring awareness to the sensations of the breath. 
be sure you are feeling the physical quality of the breath, not just the thought of the breath. Now add to the awareness the feeling of the air on your skin. Feel the temperature and the texture of the air. Now, while maintaining awareness of the breath and the air, Expand your awareness to include the feeling of presence in your posture. Hold these three components, the breath, the air, and the posture in your awareness for three full breaths. You can do this for several rounds of three breaths using a variety of focal points, your feet, the top of your head, your mouth, back, or buttocks. You can use sight, shapes, colors, shadows, or any prevailing sensations or tensions in the body. The point is to expand the awareness based in physical reality and hold it without slipping back into thought. In directing awareness to the three different points of focus, we experience more fully what is happening right now. This can be difficult, especially in the beginning. But when you do this exercise over and over, the container of awareness gradually widens. At some point, you may experience a literal jump into witness space in which you no longer identify solely with a sense of me that is our usual orientation. In this wider container of the witness awareness, there is a strong sense of attending, but not to any particular thing. Awareness simply moves to whatever presents itself to our field of sensations and perceptions. We go beyond intentionally directing awareness, as in following the breath, or practicing the three by three. The awareness moves from one point of focus to another, often attending to several aspects simultaneously. Without attempting to hold any of these aspects as a reference point, we witness the sensory world from a clear, alert perspective. This 
is experiencing. Students often get confused with a different terminology. Certain questions often arise. How does the observer fit in? Is the observer the same as or different from the witness? Generally, there is no witness, just as there is no observer. These are simply descriptions of different stages in the continuum of widening awareness. The observer is a description of the stage at which we begin observing ourselves as if from outside ourselves. But there is still a strong sense of a self who is doing the observing. As we approach the witness stage, we experience a sense of stillness and spaciousness and less sense of a self-witnessing. It isn't that we are distant from our experience. In fact, in witness awareness, we feel a strong sense of presence and connection. But these descriptions of the continuum of awareness are only theoretical. The point is to experience this continuum for ourselves from the inside. One essential aspect of experiencing is that the more we are experiencing, the less we are caught in thinking. The reverse is also true. The more we are caught in thinking, the less we are capable of actually experiencing. That's why the technique of thought labeling is preliminary and complementary to experiencing. As long as we believe in our thoughts, we remain locked in the mental world, cut off from the physical reality of the moment. As we practice observing and labeling our own thought patterns, we may begin to notice how they are often directly related to the particular strategies of behavior that we use to cope with everyday life. For example, if our basic strategy is to be in control, we may notice that a lot of our thinking takes the form of planning. We are simply continuing our basic strategy even while meditating. This is no coincidence. If we are driven by the fear of things falling apart, we will do whatever we can to avoid facing this fear. We will even spend our meditation time lost in planning, trying to avoid the discomfort of not being in control. The practice is to see this dynamic as clearly as possible. So when we see our repeating pattern, whatever it may be, we label our thoughts so that we don't get lost in them. As we become more familiar with these types of thoughts, we can generically label them planning and return awareness to the body. Recognizing 
that the planning is at least in part a cover for discomfort. We return to the body with the awareness that we may need to feel the discomfort. We will find it easier to actually experience a moment of discomfort when we are not just lost believing in our mental world. How do your own thinking patterns follow your strategies of behavior? If you spend a lot of time fantasizing while meditating, can you see how it follows the basic strategy of seeking pleasure and diversion to avoid the anxious quiver of being? When this becomes clear, label the thoughts fantasizing, then return the physical discomfort out of which the desire to find escape arose. If you tend to get lost in your own drama, reliving or imagining conversations, can you relate this pattern to the strategy of doing whatever is necessary to avoid the fear of being ignored or discounted? In this case, The practice would be to label the thoughts conversing or dramatizing and then return to the physical reality of the whole out of which the need to seek validation arose. The point is, when our thoughts are not clearly seen and labeled, it's very difficult to actually experience on a bodily level because we're believing the thoughts that are filtering through. Occasionally, especially when caught in a confusing or intense emotional reaction, we may have so many thoughts going through our minds that it's difficult to see what to label. Then we can even make up a very generalized thought that when labeled will clarify the chaotic mental jumble. For example, when I used to awaken in the early morning hours to unending anxious thoughts, the specific thought contents were not the issue. The thoughts were arising from the need to get control to avoid the fear of chaos. So I would say, having a believed thought, things are out of control, I've got to get control. This specific thought never actually went through my mind. I made it up to summarize and simplify the mental jumble. Identifying and labeling the process allowed me to return to the physical reality of the moment. When we are caught in thinking, our ability to experience the truth of the moment eludes us. The more we observe and come to know ourselves with clarity, the more we can see through our thought patterns, thereby entering the experiential world of the present moment. But even when we clearly see and label our thoughts, Staying in the experiential world is difficult, especially in the early stages of practice. 
Why, even while sitting in meditation, is it so hard to simply reside in the body? What are we resisting? We have to be honest about this. Often, we don't want to stay in the present moment for more than a few seconds. On the most superficial level, perhaps it's difficult to reside in the experiential world because it's unfamiliar. We're not educated to experience, to be present, to inhabit the sensory world. Most of our formal education involves cultivating the thinking process. As well, our culture is oriented toward fostering security and comfort. So just to counteract our years of conditioning, learning how to be present requires repeated practice. Furthermore, when we do allow ourselves to reside in the present moment, we often don't like it one bit. We're apt to come into contact with the underlying jangle that I call the anxious quiver of being. We might feel vague sensations of groundlessness or the whole of discomfort at the core of our unhealed pain. We will almost always resist experiencing these places because they don't feel good at all. We move away from the shakiness back into the false comfort of our thoughts. This is especially true during powerful emotional reactions. For example, if strong anxiety arises, the intensity of dread can feel like death. Even when we remember to practice regarding the anxiety as our path, not as something we have to escape, we may have trouble residing in the feeling of anxiety. Labeling the thoughts will help because we are no longer fueling the emotion with beliefs such as, I can't do this, or this is too much. But even when we are able to label our thoughts and thereby loosen our attachment to them, we may still resist the physical discomfort of anxiety. We resist because we don't like the discomfort. But with practice, we may eventually discover that these powerful emotions, which can feel like death, are not death. In fact, they are nothing more than a combination of believed thoughts and strong or unpleasant physical sensations. As we cultivate the willingness to just be with the physical experience of the emotion, this fact can gradually become clear to us. 
With perseverance and effort, we discover that it is possible through experiencing to transform our solid emotional reactions into something much more porous. It's not that they disappear, although they might, but that we hold them much more lightly. For example, there was one period when I was particularly discouraged about my practice life. It felt as if my practice was stagnant, yet I knew that I was unwilling to make the necessary efforts. It reached a point at which I began to seriously question myself, and the discouragement and self-doubt spiraled down into a state of anxiety and hopelessness. I wondered why I should even bother with practice, because nothing seemed to be going right. I went to see Joko describe what was going on, and she first asked me what my most believed thoughts were. I realized I didn't know. In fact, I had forgotten to even attempt to label my thoughts. She also asked whether I could resign in the physical experience of my emotional state. For the next few days, whenever the discouragement or anxiety arose, I had first asked myself what my most believed thoughts were. And as they became clear, I would label them. Having a believed thought, nothing matters. Having a believed thought, I'll never be good at this. Having a believed thought, what's the use? Often, I would have to label the same thought over and over. But once the storyline was obvious, it became easier to approach the physical experience of the emotion itself. There was still resistance to the unpleasant quality of the physical experience, especially the physical sensations of doom and anxiety in my midsection. But as I continued to bring awareness to my bodily experience, the density of the emotion began to change. Instead of something solid, the emotion began to break up into smaller aggregates of labeled thoughts and individual, constantly changing sensations. Even though there was still a residue of sensations, it was no longer what I would normally identify as a discouragement or anxiety. In this example, through the practice of experiencing, we could still feel some anxiety, but not be anxious. We identify not so much with me or my anxiety, but with the wider container of awareness that we are calling the witness. From this increased spaciousness, there is, a, there is a stillness within which we can experience what's going on, within which we can experience what's going on. Our awareness is like the sky, and all the contents of awareness, thoughts, emotions, states of mind, are passing clouds. 
As we experience our emotions, we come to understand that they are not as dense and substantial as they appear. This thing we call an emotion is just a complex of thoughts and sensations, and like a cloud, it has no substantial reality. But the only way to make this understanding real is through the practice of experiencing itself, whereby we bring awareness to the physical reality of the moment. What about those occasions when we can, in fact, really settle down in meditation? What about those moments when we experience the pleasant sensations of feeling still, calm, and clear? Why don't we stay there? Why do we leave this present moment when it seems positive? Sometimes the movement away from the present moment is very definite and rapid, as if the present moment were dangerous. What is the danger? As we reside in the present moment, less caught up in our thoughts, there is a loosening of me-ness. Being without the familiar ground of self-identity can indeed feel dangerous. The more we let loose, the stronger the sense of groundlessness. That we resist at this point, moving back into our thought-based world, is understandable. However, if our aspiration is to become free, we must practice returning to this groundless place. Why do we have to return? Why, in fact, is it so necessary to be in the present moment? We must return to the present moment because it alone can bring us into contact with what's real. And only by connecting with what's real can we experience the satisfaction in life that all of us are looking for. Even if in the present moment we are caught in fear, the key to freedom lies in experiencing the physical reality of the terror. It is here that our meanness, our years of conditioning, our unhealed wounds, and the overlay we've constructed to protect them, all of which are rooted in our very cells, can be addressed. Experiencing transforms us because it permeates the seeming solidity of this cellular memory. From the wider awareness of the witness, this tightly knit sense of self with all its painful and unwanted emotions begins to unravel. We can then see it for what it is a complex of deeply believed thoughts, unpleasant sensations, and ancient memories. 
we stop identifying with this narrow sense of self and start identifying with the wider and more spacious context of awareness itself. Experiencing brings us to the understanding that we are more than just this body, just this personal drama. Our willingness to return to the physical reality of the present moment allows us to connect with life, unconditioned energy, as it flows through our conditioned body. I'm not talking about some mystical state of consciousness that requires years of meditation in the seclusion of a monastery. I'm talking about the soft effort of cultivating the willingness to just be in the experience of our life as it is. As we practice, we will naturally encounter resistance. We will make judgments like, this isn't working, and I'll never get it right. As always, the instruction is to persevere. Acknowledging the resistance and the judgments for what they are, and to return to the state of residing in experience itself.